So if you have got a Bible, uh, please can you turn uh, with me to Luke chapter 14. Uh, we're uh, on a series looking at the, the parables of Jesus. And I seem to get the ones where there are little tiny parables or sort of one line sentences. So we're looking at Luke 14, uh, 25 uh, to 30, uh, 35. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not uh, bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all of those who, all of those who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build a tower and was not able to finish. Or what king, go, uh, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able, uh, with 10,000 men, uh, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still yet uh, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks them for terms of peace. So therefore... If anyone does, uh, of one of you does not renounce all of that, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, uh, let him uh, hear. What was happening with Jesus' ministry is that large crowds were uh, beginning uh, to uh, gather to him, to, to follow him, and it would lead to him having to speak to them about the fact that following Jesus is very, very costly. And uh, we can see historically these uh, crowds uh, coming to him. So we can see that uh, previously on the Sermon on the Mount. It says that a great crowd had gathered. It even describes it as a, a great multitude. And he had managed to, to be the, the sense of which people uh, were listening or hearing stories of him. So uh, were gathering to him and the numbers were increasing. And now he's travelling towards uh, Jerusalem. And these crowds are following him, which is ironic. They're following him to Jerusalem and eventually his death. And uh, they are talking amongst themselves and telling each other that, you know, we are followers of Jesus. We, we are his disciples. We're, we're following the man. And... He can hear this going on amongst these people that are going, you know, perhaps walking past the little uh, house and going, why don't you come? Why don't you come? We're following Jesus. We're going to do this and that and the other. And they're sort of, uh, uh, there's a swell that is going on. And Jesus is concerned um, about this. He's concerned that they actually understand what the consequences of following Jesus are. And uh, he gives them a word of warning. And the, the word of warning could be described like this. I am interested in quantity, guys, but quality is important to me also. He, d- he desperately wants them to understand and experience the, the benefits that would Uh, that would come with being a part of his kingdom. He wants them to experience all that they could experience. But what's the point of having a large number of followers if actually the quality 
of their following would prove to be poor. And that, this is why Jesus addresses them. And if you stand away from it, some of the things that he actually says to this crowd are actually very hard. I found it hard to read. He needs to talk to them about those things that you don't talk to people about, sacrifice and commitment. And he knows that this is not going to be what the people want to hear. And he knows that uh, also that they need to hear that so, so that those two things of, of this cost and sacrifice and this inheritance that he wants to give them will always run parallel in their lives. He wants them to understand if you want this, there will be a cost to this. And that's why he uses two very short parables to make the point. Now, I had completely forgotten that I'd got this passage to preach on. Um, in my mind, I'd got another one that was in my mind, and I, I'd actually done some um, reading about it foolishly, not looked at the preacher's list, just began to sort of just think about one or two things, written some things on a scrappy piece of paper, sat down uh, Monday morning, nine o'clock, and thought, oh, stink, I've written the wrong things on the piece of paper. What should I be preaching on? So I thought the best thing I could do is sit down and read this. You've got to imagine uh, this is something around quarter to nine in the morning. I've just found that I'm preaching on something that I didn't expect. And then I read it and my heart actually sank. By nine o'clock, I just was having this conversation with, with God. And sort of saying, and the way it went was, God, I, I loved what I did for you last week. I, I loved the, being able to tell the story of what God had done for Rupert and Fleur and I loved the fact that, um, that we had seen a miracle in our midst and God had blessed Rupert and Fleur and, and we had got that in our hands with this little baby Judah and God was moving. I, I loved the fact. And, I, and then I sort of said, but I don't really want to do this. And God said to me, it was really funny, he said, what do you think the point of the passage is, Nigel? <laughs> and I, I must admit, it was one of those moments where it just came shooting through. And, and um, the, the patience that, that I've got of my wife has been immense this week because on more than one occasion I've said to Callie, I would rather not preach this if I could. Uh, and those have been uh, some of the feelings that I had having sort of put it uh, to bed a little bit on Monday uh, after that. Because the passage actually asks some very tough questions and I would prefer the other bit, I would prefer the encouragement and I would prefer the joy and actually underneath is that thing that I, w- I want to encourage you and, I, and actually underneath it is the sin of wanting to be liked. So the only thing is that I can just uh, get on with it. So, my first point is that Jesus puts following him above the closeness of both friends and family. Verse 26 If anyone uh, comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's very. Strong stuff, isn't it? I don't know whether you find that strong, but I do. Um, Because it seems to say that we have to hate people that are close to us if they get in the way of following Jesus 100%. Now, hate is a a, a relative term. It's a very emotional and emotive term. But it actually means that to love Jesus so much that we love him so intensely that, we, uh, that he is our very being, that what we, feel to, what we feel for other people feels like hate. That's the, that's the impression here. It, it means like that. My, my relationship, my, my view of him, my, my experience of him is so intense when I compare it with everything else, it seems like hate. It means 
that we prefer the company of Jesus to others. Don't you find that shocking? <laughs> I found it shocking. I tried to find commentaries that would help me in this. The pain with commentaries is that they don't help you on things like this. They just point it out worse. It means that, that if it means that we want to be where Jesus is and be what, where, what Jesus is doing rather than be where other people are and what they are doing. We make those choices. Jesus or this. This or, or that. And we go, no, it's Jesus. That, that is what Jesus is telling these people right now. And uh, it means that we, we, we love his voice more than we, we love the voice of other people, that we love listening to him against other people. It means that if there is a choice, that any choice that we make, the only choice that we will make will be Jesus first. That's the, the, the choice. And the, the point of view is not that we actually hate other people. It means that we have evaluated what is important to us and we come up with one conclusion that Jesus is more important than anything else to us. Because what he was saying is to them, you're following, you're following me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm just about to go to Jerusalem. You know, I'm following, you're following the man. I'm following this man, Jesus. So when we say follow Jesus, Jesus says to them, you know, I am a Christian. You, know, you use that statement, don't you? And Jesus said, do you know what that means? Do you know what that really means? Have you considered the cost? It means that it may, may mean that your closest friends, your closest relatives will be opposed to your zeal for Jesus. They, they will say, what on earth do you think that you are doing comparing me to him? They will question your priorities. They will make things extremely difficult to you. And at that point, Jesus says, Okay, now who are you following? He says that if we are to receive all that God wants for us, then we have to place Jesus as the number one priority. And that's the challenge. That's the, the cost. That's the, the thing. He then adds to that. And Jesus puts following him above love of ourselves. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciples. Now, we love ourselves a lot, don't we? <laughs> we just do. Uh, and uh, that's the way that we are. Uh, we, we love what other people um, think about us. We... Uh, love our reputation, uh, we love our opinion, uh, we love our feelings, uh, we love our achievements. The, the, the list about ourselves can be endless. I know it's endless in, in me. I hope that you can uh, bear with me and see that actually it's endless in, in you. And what those things do in us is that they form reference points on how we view everything else. So I view everything through the reference point of me. They, they shape what we do. They shape what we say. And Jesus is actually coming to them again. He's sort of saying, look guys, if you want to follow me, I'm on my way to Jerusalem and if you want to fully receive all the benefits that come from following Jesus, we must deliberately and actively put ourselves into second place. That's what he's asking us. Uh, I, I am, in, in this relationship, I am not number one, I am number two. And he asks these people who are following him to what would be his death and could have been their death. Am I really more important than you? Am I really more important than you? Now, can you imagine this? It's like me asking you this question. It's the emotion that I went through on Monday morning 
Some people are, are outraged at this idea. And, and I don't know whether you know, people said to Jesus, what on earth do you think that you are saying to us? You know, how dare you ask me that question? You see, you have to catch the heart of Jesus. He wants two things here. He wants the best for you and them. And he also wants the best for him as well. And those two things run together. He wants the best for you, and of course he wants the best for him. He is asking for our life, and he's saying to them, because he's on his way to Jerusalem, you gain his life, but it is at the cost of yours. That's what it means. To follow Jesus, you, you as the Bible describes it, you lose your life to gain his. There's a scripture... Um, for that he then makes it worse for them and he says the cost of following jesus will actually include painful crucifixions so not only is it a, a cost to your family and friends to follow jesus not only is it a cost to yourself but actually this cost will hurt <laughs> whoever verse 27 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Paul talks about in one of his letters about us uh, gaining the full stature of Christ. And he talks about us becoming more like him. And he talks about the way that we do that. And as part of that, he talks about we, we do that by not just understanding his resurrection which we've uh, got hold of this morning, but also his sufferings. That's how he tells us that we gain these things. It's not un- just understanding he's alive, I- I'm alive, hooey hooey. He says, no, it isn't just that. It's also to do with suffering. And it means that uh, we are not going to achieve all that God would have for us without going through some level of painful crucifixion. Now, I don't know whether you sit there and you lead somebody to Christ and go through this and uh, this sort of experience. And we have a friend of ours that is in um, South Africa. Uh, no, was that in South Africa? A lady that some of you have met, Angela Kem. And Angela Kem would say, this is the key point in leading somebody to Christ. And she would always tell them, because in their context, in South Africa, they are, they are black Africans that are living in townships. So um, they, there is pretty much no, no hope and, uh, in the situation apart from, apart from this one God. And what we're saying is, okay, guys, if you want to follow this, this is going to cost you. And one kind of preparation that God sends us to help us is that he sends us crucifixions in our lives. That's what happens. We go through times where it is extremely painful. And experiences, and and when we talk about crucifixions, we're not talking about experiences where I, you know, where I, I just feel a little bit low. These are, a crucifixion is a painful experience and what jesus is saying is that if we accept them if we don't fight them if we learn from them that we are going to grow in him and be blessed by them we the question is well what do they look like um well they're not that you broke your fingernail and are not coming to church or you know that sort of stuff they're not like that they may be for you suffering. They may be. They may be for you awful injustice. These, are, these can be related to the cross or even worse. It may be sickness. It may be delay. It may be unfairness. It may be opposition. It may be demonic attack. What do we know? We know that they're not small they affect the whole of your life like a crucifixion would. A crucifixion, as far as I can see it, affects your whole being. 
You would know, wouldn't you, if you were nailed to a cross? You know. They threaten by their very nature to destroy you. That's the nature of crucifixion. A crucifixion destroys the person. By nature, these are things that threaten to destroy who you are. They are, can be very humiliating as a crucifixion is. Now, I know this is very hard for both you and for me to hear, and I don't want to diminish at all what you're going through. I want us to just take us on a little track with this. Some of it is theological and some of it is not, and some of it you can't draw any parallels with. But if you think about this, it was not the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus, or the religious leaders, or the mob, but it was actually God who took Jesus to the cross. It was God's plan, magnificent plan, of salvation and redemption. Just one verse, Isaiah 53, verse six and, uh, 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him the chastisement that was brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid it on him. What is the conclusion? God put Jesus to death. Now we can take that imagery too far because God was not dealing with issues in Jesus' life, was he? So I don't want to take that far. But what we can ask is, what is God sending you that is very painful? What is God sending you uh, that, that, that has just hit your whole life and is threatening to destroy you? What is God doing? So that, you can, so that you can learn about what is not effective in you and so that you can serve him better in the long run. That's the, the thing. He, he is not wanting to destroy you. He's wanting you to experience this particular crucifixion because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's the issue. The issue that the plan and the purpose has to be set above the pain and the agony. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. The plan and the purpose, which is you and I, enabled him to go to the cross, endure the pain, because you and I were that joy that was set before him. And that's the purpose. The plan and the purpose is always bigger than the occasion. Now it was the, the uh, habit of the Roman soldier, if you remember, to make uh, the, uh, uh, the man carry his own cross big debate over this according to what stories you read was it a cross or a cross beam to be honest I don't really care Uh, what we do know is that Jesus was made don't we to carry his own cross at his crucifixion What, what is that about here we find Jesus assisting in his own crucifixion he's not He is saying, even in Gethsemane, if you could please take this cup away from me, but no, not my will, but your will be done. He's assisting in this process. And what happens generally is when these things come, we struggle with them, don't we? We resist them. And here we can find that God is actually asking us to do a similar thing for the larger purpose and our growth in God. Will you assist God? in your crucifixion, so that you can receive all that God has for you uh, in the future. So then he gets on to these two stories, uh, parables. The first one is uh, building a tower. In verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Verse 29, Otherwise, 
he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish, all you will see, and all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man begin to build and was not able to finish it. Little story. Let me just say this right at the very beginning. Please hear this, because often with sermons, what happens is that people hear bits, and, and they don't hear all of it. Let me say this to you first. Say this in all honesty and, and biblically, God wants you to finish what you've started. He doesn't want you to go through having a series of failures. He wants you to have your tower. That's the thing. Do you know that? He, God, God has not called you, God has not brought you into his kingdom to make a mockery of you, which is what is going on here. It says here quite clearly, they, they will begin to mock. You, you aren't designed to be the Christian failure that goes around uh, not accomplishing all that God No, It's not God's heart. He wants you to finish what you've started. So here he, he says that he wants you to complete the building. There's other ones in the Bible, isn't it? But he wants you to finish the race. There's two races. There's the race of you getting to heaven, which is the way that I've started. Always been uh, interpreted that one and uh, from Scripture, from my own background. Okay, I'll finish the race. I'll get to heaven. And I'll break the, the, the string, as it were, into heaven. And then everybody will go, yes! And I'll put a medal around my neck. Well, that's great, isn't it? But, you, but, but there is another race, and that is the race to which God called you. That God has a purpose for your life. God has something that he wishes for you to achieve and do. And he wants you to build that tower. He wants you to fill, finish that race. He did not call you to fail. He did not call you to be a laughing stock. He called you so that he could demonstrate his glory to the manifest, to the principalities and powers that exist. So, why the pain? Why the crucifixions? Well, what it says here is there's something wrong in the foundations. That's why the tower can't go up. There is something in me, in the very basics of my faith, that is wrong in regard to God. And God is, God is trying to teach you. And it's deep and it hurts. He's actually sort of saying, look, you can't put a tower on this. If we put a tower on this, it's just going to fall down. So this person, this parable, Jesus tells the story of a person who desires to build a tower. So let's point out the obvious about it. One, if we're going to follow Jesus, then first of all, we must sit down and count, of count the cost. It says, sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Jesus asks us all the time, whatever we do, whether it be in terms of salvation or serving, are you sitting down and counting the cost of what you have just said? So, Lynn Schwartz, have you realised that the next time that you are free to, to stop serving toast and coffee, because you said it in the place of many witnesses, uh, is that your next opportunity for freedom from that duty is actually in heaven itself. <laughs> but you are going to do this on a zimmer, blind, deaf and disabled, but you are doing it because you sat down, I'm sure, and counted the cost and thought, will I complete this? And it's really easy, isn't it, for us to pick up things and say, with great enthusiasm and say, yeah, I'll do this, I can do that, I'll do the other. It is really hard to say, what will that look like? And Jesus actually asks us not just to look at that in terms of our own salvation. Do you know what this will cost you? Do you know what this will cost you to complete it? He asks us in everything that we do to have that in mind. We are supposed to see this following Jesus thing is very costly. We're supposed to come to the conclusion that I am under-resourced to do it which is why they, he sent the Holy Spirit. Second thing he wants us to do is he wants us to see the consequences of not coming to that conclusion. Because he says here, all who see it begin to mock him, 
saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Is not this... I love that song that, that Phil has taught us in the last few weeks. Because I think it, rem- it puts us back into perspective to what we were called to do. Here's the church. How do people think of the church? How do people think of us? This man began to build but was not able to finish it. Is that not the church in the UK today? Is that, what, is that not what the politicians and the neighbours and uh, the friends and the work colleagues and all that, is not, not that their view of us? Why, why is this? I think sometimes we've got into uh, what I call our self-esteem nation is one of these things that what you have to do is if you say a negative... You must say a positive. Isn't that not right? So, we talk to the, so if we go to Lynn Schwartz today, we're supposed to say, the toast was wonderful, but why wasn't it home meal? <laughs> you know, so, oh, well, there was home meal. Oh, well, there you go. You see, we're supposed to do that. But Jesus is not afraid of using a negative to make, an, to make a positive. And the idea is that actually the church gets indignant and that we get indignant ourselves and we wind ourselves up and we wind each other up and go, no, that's not what I want. I don't want people to see me like this. I don't want to see, I don't want people to see like the, the church like this. And it has this motivation. The negative has a positive motivation. And I want to ask you, is it? Is it having this effect? Therefore, I will change, even though it hurts. There's another parable, and the parable is the king that goes to battle. It says in verse 31, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who come against him with 20,000. And if not, uh, while the other is a great uh, way off, he sends a delegation because he looks up and he goes, oh, flipping heck. And he goes, I know, we'll ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all of that cannot be my disciple. This is a parable of a king who has to fight an army that are bigger than his. Feel like that? Feel like that? Feel like your opposition is bigger than you? Feel like the what's out there in the world, guys, in regard to the church, bigger than you? And some of the application is the same as the first one. So what we'll do is we'll move on. He, he says, uh, I want you to consider the cost. I want you to look at the resources. We'll move on because we've talked about that. And then he realizes that he can't win. So what he does is he thinks, I know an answer to this. I will compromise. I will ask for peace. Isn't that the way of the church? I will compromise here. My goodness me. If ever there was a word for the church, wasn't it this? I know. Let's make a peace treaty. Do you not? Don't do that. Sorry, I just ruined the mic. <laughs> but is, here it is in that sort of the, the world comes and it, and it says... You know, whether it's a synod or anything like this, I know what we'll do. We will compromise on what the Bible says. We will make a peace treaty with this and this and this and the other. We go back to the other. We, no wonder that people mock us. No peace treaties. Just get this in your No peace treaties. Why? We win this fight, guys. Stop preaching. He quits. He quits. The king quits. He goes, can't fight this. Let's make a peace treaty. It's wrong, king. You want to go have a king? You're wrong. It's wrong, king. Very wrong. What he does is he goes, he takes the easy option. How many times? I know that. How many times? Just talking to um, uh, two sisters this week, just sitting in my front room, saying, there have been times when Callie and I have taken the easy option. Just talking to them, just thinking, sitting afterwards going, yeah, we can see those things. Well, we took the easy option. This time, the consequences are not humiliation. They're more serious than that, because if he goes to battle, 
He's, he thinks about his life, but it's more important than that. He has in his hands the life of other people. See, it isn't just king, your, you, it's your decision. Our decisions affect so many people. Tim and Rachel's decision has affected me. <laughs> and Phil and Rachel's. We were broke. We are even more broke now. <laughs> it, it affected us such like this that they, within moments of their announcement to the family, our phone, because of what they did, what they said, what they announced, my phone was red hot. So anything that I wanted to do yesterday morning got stopped because people wanted to talk to me. Who about? Not me, them. (laughs) Because your decision never affects just you. It affects other people. It's a funny one, but it's true. My choice is, it's not just about me. I affect so many things. Look here. Let's just say this. Jesus is talking about here a real Conflict, a real battle in which there will be casualties. He's talking about a king who goes to war. He wants them to think in times of this. I I actually struggle to get into video games. I don't have any. I have one game on my computer. I used to have another one. uh, And I'll tell you a story about my other one. Is that um, that the the only game I've got on my computer is snooker. That's it. Yes, and I do do that. Foul and a miss. <laughs> Four away. That's, that's about how good I am. <clears throat> I did have another one, and I can't remember what it was called. I had a jigsaw one that was called Pandora's Box. And, and Rupert, our computer is open to everybody and anybody. Rupert ventured onto my computer, <clears throat> an old computer, and switched it on so that he could use it. And there in front of his very eyes was Pandora's box. <laughs> so Rupert must have waited for about a month. And after a month, he decides, I need to talk to Ro- Nigel about the demonic evil stuff that is on her. He never, he didn't click it because he thought, if I click this, demons will come flying out of the computer. They will invade me. It will affect my life and my marriage. And all that sort of stuff. So Rupert came and he said, you know, Nigel, I just need to talk to you about Pandora's box. He said, it's concerning us. We're really worried. What are you into? <laughs> I said to Rupert, Rupert, it's a jigsaw site. It's online jigsaws, Rupert. It came with Microsoft. I just loaded it. You just get different. Joe, you'll like it. It's just one for you. It, it's all it was is jigsaws. You just get different jigsaws at different levels. It's Pandora's box. It's because, you know, who, what fools do jigsaws, Joe? It, that's, it, it's just like, that's what it is. It was. So Rupert scuttled off and I was, I, but I, Rupert, just for you, I've removed it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> but video games do intrigue me because I've noticed with video games, that, that the sort of that men rise when they do them. Have you ever noticed that, young men? Because suddenly they want to be this bloke that he's got all that armory strapped onto them. It's dong 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 dong. Shoulder pads, heads off, they're off, and they, and they want to be. I want to be that man. I want to be that man. Let me be that man. And you can even put your face in it, can't you? I am that man. I am that man. And they sort of do this sort of thing. And then they start and they go, let's put the most epic battle we can have in front of us. And this epic battle, yes, we'll have. We'll have tanks, we'll have aeroplanes, we'll have everything. It's blasting we'll have nuclear things. But I am that man. And I, and I kill the lot of them. And we do that sort of thing. And then away it goes. And then the enemy, you see them go, I conquered. There's blood dripping, the arms falling off, the legs falling off. But I am that man. Look, guys, you do it with your blasted thumbs. That's all you do. What are you doing in reality? You are not that man. You are not that man. You do something with you. This is what I've learnt about you. This is what I've learnt. It's not real. That's profound, isn't it? 
You are not in a mighty army. The battle is not epic. You did not win. You got a high score with your little thummies. <laughs> Have you ever been to Jonathan Burroughs' house? Where is he? I'll let you off this week because it's your exam. But now that the exam is over. Have you ever noticed Jonathan Burroughs' fascination with Iron Man? You can see... Jonathan Burroughs is Iron Man. (laughs) He is! If you see this thing, this is this thing. This is this quiet, timid... Very polite. I'm from Tunbridge Wells, you know, educated in Singapore. But I am Iron Man! It's all line. What, if you're talking to him, what does he talk to you about? Iron Man! You, you can, let's talk about Leviticus or... Ex, oh, yeah, that's all right. But let's talk about Iron Man. Let's talk about the current film that's on. There's one now. Have you got your tickets, Jonathan? You will do. I know this. It's just really interesting, isn't it? Us guys, come on, guys. Do you want to do something that matters? Do you want to be in a battle that costs you? Do you want to be in something that actually is really ferocious? Then do something for Jesus and his church that will leave a legacy for your children, that will change your community your town and this nation, if you're going to strap some weapons on, strap the weapons from Ephesians 6 to you and go out there and fight for God. Don't do this. There are some armies, you know, that I don't know whether you've ever thought about this. There are some armies that are such... It's like the... Is it that one about the 300, those stupid... <laughs> you seen that one? Half animation... They look like, how do they get to look like that? They all look the same, don't they? How do we fight? Naked. That's how we fight. If I fought naked, that'd make him run. But <laughs> how do you do that? That sort of stuff. It is like that, isn't it? You just think, come on. But you know, some armies, what they would do is say, we are going to conquer. And the way that we are going to conquer is that we are going to f- go to this land. And do you know what the generals would do then? They would burn the boats. The first thing that they did when they landed was burn these boats. And they would say to them this phrase, conquer or death. What was the Apostle Paul? For me to die, gain. For me to live, Christ. Conquer or death. Have you burnt your boats? you set out on the journey? Have you burnt your boats? Isn't it time to say in the face of family and friends, in the face of our own personal difficulties, in the face of our own crucifixions, in the face of building the cost, facing the battle, I will not quit because I am a follower of Jesus. Let's put some application on this. We're nearly through. Verse 34 is the application. The application is book into Iron Man 4 with Jonathan. No? Oh, well, if you want to. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how, can it, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either to the soil or to the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. To ear, uh, hear, let him hear. In their day, salt was very different from ours. Uh, It came from the Dead Sea. It was collected, it was laid out, and the impurities could be seen and taken out. They had to put it out in the sun, and in time they would pick it out. And Jesus says, what's good is salt. What's bad is if salt has lost its saltiness. What does he mean by that phrase? He means that what is not good is salt if it goes back to how it was originally collected. Remember how you were collected by God? Remember how God collected you? (laughs) What are you like now? 
He said, look, look, you know, I don't, the, and it's harsh that, isn't it? It is really harsh. How did God collect you? Have you gone back to how it was right at the very beginning? We're supposed to be followers of Jesus, preserving, enhancing flavour, uh, where we are and beyond. And he says these things to us, and they're really challenged, aren't they? He actually says that some of you amongst us have become worthless. And, and I, I struggled to say that. You struggle with it because you just think, it is no use either to soil or for the manure pile. And I know just talking to Callie and I just in this week, and in fact just recently, Callie and I have actually uh, asked ourselves the question, are we no use any longer? And we've talked about that at, at length. And both cried over it, actually, and asked that question, am, uh, am I no use any longer? Uh, and if you want to check that out, you can check that out. Uh, you know, I'm not telling you for to, be, to impress you or anything like that. I'm telling you that it's a conversation that we have actually had. I didn't think we would ever have that conversation, but we have. Are we, are we no longer any use in serving God? How did you get yourself to thinking and behaving like that? And I had to be careful not to go down, and Callie has uh, rightly told us that. Me, that and so you can, sometimes you can go down a pity angle. And look, uh, I, this is not about your value in God. It's not about the fact that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not about that you are a son. It's not about that you're an heir. It's not about that you are not his friend. All of those are true, guys. It's more than that. It's about following him where he goes, facing the cost, and getting that tower up and winning that battle. Are you, is the tower going up? Is, is the battle being won? How's it going? How's your Bible reading going? How's it doing? When was the last time? How's your prayer life going? How are you doing facing up with your sin? How's your spirit filling going? How's your zeal going? How's your giving going? How's your serving doing? What are you in faith for? Who are you helping? What are you accomplishing? What are you completing? Would you describe your Christian life as losing or winning? Would you describe it as giving up or advancing? We're not going to do this alone. We need each other to help us on the journey. That's why Jesus was talking to a whole bunch. He's saying, come on guys, we can do this together. And we may have to face up to some of the hard truths. But is this not the Saviour who has saved us? Has he not given us a tower and a battle for us to win? Isn't that the reason there is a battle and a tower? Do you know, I've seen people leave churches over and over again. It's part of uh, life of leading churches. And, you know, some people leave churches for good reasons and some people go and settle themselves in other churches these are the people that I'm not talking about right now, just so that we don't get any confusion. But I've actually seen people walk away because they can't face the cost. They can't face the crucifixion because it hurts. And because the tower's hard work and the, because the battle is ferocious. And I've just seen so many that once we're in prominent p- positions in church, drifting to nowhere. Just nowhere. They just don't go anywhere. I want to say this to you. Don't quit because Jesus didn't quit on you. You have one who has not quit on you. He will not quit on you. He cannot quit on you. Do you know every time you quit, grace comes. Every time you quit, mercy comes. Every time you quit, love comes. Every time you quit, acceptance comes. All the time. That's the way that he deals with it. 
Jesus accepted the fact that his family would reject him. He came as a servant at his cost to him personally. He accepted his own crucifixion. He shed blood and died to accomplish our salvation. In Gethsemane, he sweats drops of blood knowing the price he would have to pay. And yet he does all this nonetheless. He keeps his saltiness right to the end. He does not give up. He dies, he rises, he saves, he forgives and he heals for our benefit. Do you hear that? What you do may not benefit you, it may benefit other people. That's how it works, folks. Our cost, others benefit. That's the gospel. If you haven't understood what Jesus is about, hear it there and hear what it means for you. Hear that, that it's, it may be at your cost so that others can benefit. Now, this, In this passage, I want to just finish here, one, two lines. In this passage, Jesus asked the followers... If you want to measure up, if you want a measure of some of what I have done, the deliverances, the healing, the power of the gospel, the advancing kingdom, then you, like me, are you going to have to pay a very personal cost? He asks them one question. He says, uh, will you make your life count? And I want to ask you that question. Will you make your life count for Jesus? I was very struck uh, with Nathan's prophecy that, that he bought and, uh, fro- and uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. He says this right at the very end. He said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, uh, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labour is not in vain. That's what struck me. I just thought, it isn't just knowing that I have to pay this, it's knowing that. That was really helpful. Um, So, I could say, (laughs) if you need to respond to this, uh, come and respond to it, but I don't want to do that, because um, I think at some level, we all need to respond to it, don't we, at, at some level in this. And uh, I just wondered whether we could use, uh, I'm going to call it Phil's song, because I don't know what else it was. Phil's song to, because some, some of the stuff that you, what is it, Phil? Come set your thing, that, what is it? Uh, it's got both a personal and a church application in, in all this. And uh, Rupert, then you can do with this whatever you feel that you should do with it. I wonder whether we could um, stand... Uh, sing it and I know that often what people do is that they say but I I think just don't sing it why don't you deal with God in it and say no this is this is what I'm about this is who I am